are slowly but surely continuing our study on the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, trying to understand the ministry of God the Holy Ghost in the midst of the body of Christ. And we've gone out of our way to make sure that you understand that the ministry of God's Spirit has not changed, that what He did do, He is doing, He is doing, He will do tomorrow. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want to begin reading with verse 7. Once again, this is teaching number 3. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles. So that's as far as I'll read because tonight we'll attempt to work on the gifts of healing and then the working of miracles. We began by telling you that the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is crucial and essential. And we told you that these manifestations cannot be created on our own. Uh, If that were the case, then quite naturally, we would have these manifesting whenever we want them to. But you'll notice verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 12 says, But all these worketh at one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. It is the Spirit of God that functions and operates through individual Christians. We learned from verse Four, that there are different kinds of gifts. We also have some mentioned in Romans 12. We certainly have some mentioned in Ephesians, describing apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then Peter also speaks of some also. We talked about differences of administrations in verse 5, where God has these gifts governed in a way in each individual That is different. Uh, Everybody's not the same. In terms of administration, the number of people that at one time worked for Billy Graham Ministries would be different from how something would be administrated in a smaller ministry with maybe only 30 or 40 people. So the administration of the Holy Spirit differs according to who he's using. And then we also spoke to you briefly about the operations of the Spirit. Uh, God performs, God operates and manifests through our personalities, our temperaments. Nobody's the same. Everyone is different. You can find four or five people that are evangelists. They could preach the same message, but it won't come out the same. Every aspect of the message will be totally different. You can find 25 pastors. They can all preach the same message. But what God does in that message is going to differ according to those pastors because they're different. Same thing if you find somebody who taught on one particular text, six people would do it in a different way. But now we're talking this evening about something else that's supernatural, and we're talking about gifts of healings. 
you will notice at the end of the chapter, it speaks also in verse 28 of gifts of healings that God set in the church. Now, what is a gift? A gift is a distribution or something given. We can call it a donation sometimes. Something that's provided to someone and they didn't buy it. They didn't necessarily merit it, but it was given as a gift. Healing, of course, has to do with the restoration of one's health. If a person is infirmed, if a person is sick, if a person is diseased, then we understand that healing is necessary. And if you don't believe me, why do you think on any given Sunday there are so many people mentioning family members and relatives or, or friend, friends, and they're saying, pray for so-and-so, they were just diagnosed with cancer because they want to see them healed. So the whole point of the prayer is to ask God to get involved. If God gets involved and brings healing, then the manifestation of that health in that person's body, I don't care whether it comes immediately or if it comes over time, if, it, if God is the source of it, then it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Now let's go to the Gospel of Mark chapter 3 and let's look at this closely. The Gospel of Mark chapter number 3. And it says in verse 14, and he, Jesus, ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. Some people will say, okay, well, these were the apostles. They were special and God used them uniquely in that way. Well, there is a, a bit of truth to that, but let's not forget, they preached Jesus, and when the last apostle died, how many of you know we, they kept preaching Jesus? Right. So if, if they preached Jesus, and then the apostles died, and the message continues, then that tells us that the message wasn't for a generation or for a specific group of people. God gave them power to heal sicknesses. And when the last apostle died, sickness didn't disappear from planet Earth. It's still here. And, and, and infirmity didn't disappear from planet Earth. Neither did demon power. Every generation has to face this. And whatever people may believe about this, we need to know that Jesus gave the 12 apostles power to deal with these things and also the, the permission from God to preach the gospel. Now let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We'll slowly build our case with the evidence of the word of God. Then you make your decision and understanding what the scripture says. Now then, in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, after these things the Lord appointed, how many more? Seventy, and sent them two by two before his face into every city where he himself would come. So they were to be the setup squad to prepare for the presence of the Lord. And what does the scripture say he told them? Look at what he says in verse 5. Whatever house you enter into, say, peace be to this house. Look at verse 7. In the same house you're to stay, eating and drinking such things as they give. The laborer is worthy of his hire. Don't go from house to house. Whatever city you enter into, 
and they receive you, eat such things are set before you. That, he reiterates that. Verse 9, heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, the kingdom of God is come unto you. So notice then, not just the 12 was given power to preach and power to heal, but 70 more people. So what I wonder then is when the last of the 12 apostles died, I wonder how many of the 70 were still around. Because obviously God's plan hasn't changed at all with regard to how he ministers amongst his people. So gifts of healings. Let's go now then to, uh, let's go to Acts chapter 28. And let's look at the Apostle Paul. We've got a number of scriptures today we will be looking at. Acts chapter 28. Paul is stranded on an island, and on this island, as they were there, in verse number 8, a man by the name of Publius, that's not the most attractive name, yeah, I'm just, Randy's sounding pretty good right about now, Acts 28, verse 8, Publius lay sick of a fever and a bloody flux. To whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid hands on him and healed him. Okay, so the, the, the restoration of the health is a manifestation of the spirit of God's power. <clears throat> okay, you might say, well, Paul, he had gifts of the spirit. R- remember that the Bible says that the spirit of God divides them severally as he will. Paul couldn't just turn on manifestations of healing whenever he wanted to. If he could, there would have never, ever been anybody around him that was sick. Because I've heard people say things like this. Well, if, if the Lord heals people today, I just don't understand why people just don't go into the hospitals and just clean out the hospitals of the sick people and the same thing with uh, the nursing homes. Well, I mean, you believe in salvation. I believe in salvation. Why don't you clear out the the red light district and all of the sinners in Hebron and Thera County? The reason reason you haven't and I haven't is because when it comes to preaching the gospel, people have to receive and believe. Have to receive and believe the gospel. If they don't believe the gospel, they can't be saved from their sins. And when it comes to praying for the sick, there are a number of factors involved with a person being made whole from an illness. But I just want you to understand that a person can be used by God in ministering to the sick, but that doesn't necessarily mean they can turn it on and off whenever they want to. And so we probably better give you some illustrations of this. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and this is the Apostle Paul, and listen to what he says in verse 25. I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger. Verse 26, he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because you had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So as you can see there, here was a good friend of Paul's that was sick, and believe me, if Paul could have healed him, he would have healed him. 
But just because you have somebody around you that is ill or infirmed, that doesn't mean God doesn't heal. And just because you have a relative or a loved one who is a sinner, that doesn't mean God doesn't save. Doesn't change anything about the nature of God. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let me give you another one related to this thing connected with healing. 2 Timothy 4. This is the Apostle Paul. Again, he's writing to his son in the faith. And look at verse number 20. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum in what condition? Sick. Sick. So there's Paul again telling you about someone close to him that was ill. Here was a man that throughout the book of Acts saw miracles. In Acts chapter 14, Paul was preaching and the Bible says he perceived faith in the countenance of a man that was listening to him. And he told him, stand up on your feet. And the man instantly was made whole. That's a healing. That's the power of God. That's the spirit of God. But just because the Lord does that doesn't mean that Paul is able to turn it on and off like a faucet. One of the things you'll find with Jesus in the Gospels is that he often taught and then immediately after he taught, he then ministered to people that were sick. They listened to what he was saying. And then afterwards, he took the babies in his arms or he took the cripples and the blind and the deaf. And if there were people filled with the devil, they were set free by the mighty power of God. So it's the Holy Spirit then that establishes gifts of the spirit. And as first Corinthians twelve twenty eight says, God established them in the church. So they're not going anywhere. Now, they may not function in a church you were raised in. And they may not be believed in the church you're a part of, but that doesn't change the Bible. That doesn't change the Bible at all. You just need to know from a scriptural standpoint that he is the one in charge of gifts of healings. So if if you ever say something like this, uh, so-and-so went to the doctor and the doctor just said they've got six months to live, uh, would you pray for so-and-so? Well, if, if you spent 20 years telling everybody that God doesn't heal people today, then why are you wanting somebody to pray for your friend now? I know why you want them to pray for your friend or be, for your relative, because it's somebody close to you. But whenever it's somebody distant, somebody far off and somebody you're not connected with, then we like to say things like this. The Lord's will be done. But we don't say the Lord's will be done when it's our child that's about to die. No, you want people to pray. You want people to fast. And God has a heart for your children the same way he has a heart for other people's children and other people's spouses and family members. As a believer, then, I don't ever say that with the death of the last apostle, God stopped doing anything. I make it very plain that the same Holy Ghost that was in Peter and Paul is the same Holy Ghost in us. And what he wants to do is to be released by our faith to do what he desires to do. Some of you may have heard the story or the testimony of Betty Baxter. She was a a lady who was born with I don't know how many different diseases uh, that she had. But I know that she was missing a lung 
as an infant when she was born. And I know from hearing her personal testimony that from the time that she was an infant all the way up into adult years, her head was always bent down, stuck between both of her legs. In fact, her spine and everything had points on the back of it that just about protruded through the skin. So you could roll your hand across the back of her spine and feel it the same way you could with an old cat. If you've ever had an old cat, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So all of her internal organs were pushed up and in a different direction. And she could be carried from room to room because she couldn't walk. Every day of her life, she was in a wheelchair and bent over and probably as a human, no taller than this. Just the way her body was all scrunched up. But she had a mother who loved God, and a mother who did pray. And for some reason or another, God only knows in his great, wonderful love, mercy, and kindness, he told that little girl and told that mother what day that little girl was going to be healed. And so that little girl had told her mother, said, Jesus, I believe, spoke to my heart and told me I'm going to be made whole on whatever August day it was. I'll say August 12th. And the mother said, I believe the Lord spoke to me also. Well, they told her dad and the mother told her husband. Of course, the dad wouldn't believe it. He said, it's impossible. He said, I'm a Christian. I believe in God, but God just doesn't do this kind of stuff at all. Look at our daughter. She's been that way since she's born. Now she's in her 20s. And you're trying to tell me God's going to heal this girl. She might have been a little bit less than 20, but at any rate, he wouldn't believe it all. So the little girl told her mother, said, Mom, we're getting close to when I'm supposed to be healed. Would you go and buy me a dress at the nearest shop and, and buy me some shoes that I could put on? She'd never wore a pair of shoes in her life. Well, of course, why would she? She couldn't walk, can't move around, couldn't even crawl. So her, her mother did go and get a dress, laid it out on the bed, had some shoes down there on the floor. And on, on, on that particular day, the word had spread that this little girl was going to be healed. People from the community had come out to the house, were standing in the yard. They didn't no more believe that that woman was going, that woman was going to be healed than you believe I'm an astronaut. They thought they were going to be able to mock what this little girl believed. But at whatever time it was, in that room where that mama and that daughter was, appeared this, it looked like a little dot that just appeared in the middle of the air and it was glowing and it was bright white and it got bigger and it got bigger and it got bigger. And then out of that light stepped Jesus in a long, flowing, glowing white robe and walked over to Mary and said, I have come to heal you and I want you to tell everyone that I'm soon to come. Well, the mother and Mary told of how when he put his hand forth and touched her, all you heard was the sound of bones crackling and snapping together. And one by one, within a few moments, her body was jerking and there she was standing upright on her feet, totally healed. She traveled for years with Oral Roberts and other people, giving her testimony. 
It's been one of the greatest miracles since the book of Acts that somebody could be healed like that. Well, that's a gift of healing. It's a manifestation of the power of God. And, 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 and anybody who would say that it couldn't be true, all they have to do is look at her and look at her baby pictures. There were no surgeries. There were no doctors that could do something like that. But God in his mercy and in his kindness and by his power, he can do whatever he wants to do. He just needs somebody to trust him. That's all. Okay, so then, First um, Corinthians 12, verse number 9, the last sentence, talks about gifts of healing. I, I do want to say that In the book of Acts, you have different kinds of healings because you have different kinds of illnesses. Remember, there was the one who was at the gate called Beautiful and had been crippled from his mother's womb, made whole. Let's not forget about the time that um, Dorcas essentially had died. Peter kind of gone over in there. And then we have one story after another in Matthew chapter 4 where it tells us where Jesus went about teaching, preaching, and, you know, healing. And then it names all the different things in connection with the people that were healed. People that uh, were full of the devil. People that were lunatic. People that had paralysis. So different gifts will operate and deal with different illnesses and diseases. Now, going back to what we read earlier from Philippians and Timothy, just because God is using someone to heal the sick and to bring blessing into people's lives doesn't mean they can turn it on and off like you turn on the tap water. I gave you two occasions where Paul had friends that were sick and they were not healed and he left them to continue the ministry and he left them in the sick bed. But you know what? Because they were sick, he didn't stop preaching healing. And he didn't stop praying for the sick. And we're not supposed to ever do that either. Just because you have a relative who dies in their sins, it wouldn't matter if they died cursing God in their last few moments of their life. You're not supposed to stop telling people Jesus saves. And if somebody has a loved one who passes away in illness, then you say, what do you do? You bury them. And if they love the Lord, you shout the praises of God and say they're at home with the king and have a glorified body. And then you still go right back to telling people that God is still a great physician and he can heal and he can touch. So that's the Bible. That's that's, that's the scripture. This is how the first century church believed before councils got involved and backslidden preachers got involved and removed all the supernatural from anybody's belief and just simply said, well, you know, I'm just not sure about these kinds of things, you know. I had a conversation uh, with someone one time, and they were trying to explain to me, well, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on in the body of Christ, and we've got to be careful, and with all that weird stuff, we need to stay away from any kind of belief like that about healing. I said, there's a whole lot of weird stuff that goes on in the body of Christ with regard to salvation, but I'm not going to stay away from preaching salvation. And I said, back in medieval times, the Roman church told everybody, if you're born to a Roman Catholic and they throw water on you, then you're in. But that never was the truth. You must be born again, is what the scripture says. And just because you see weird stuff on television 
or hear about weird stuff on radio or have some family members that do weird things. That don't have anything to do with the book. This book is the example, not your friends. It's the book. You go with what the book says. And, and if God is your Lord and master and savior, then you go with the book no matter what anybody else says. I found that most people who spend their time trying to qualify what is explicit in the scripture, they do so because A, they don't want to believe God that he can do that, or B, they've been disappointed because something didn't work out. Yeah, that's not the way to live your life. You, you, you can't spend your time reading the Bible through the lenses of disappointments and hurts. I have a grandmother passed away cancer of the brain. And when I would come around to visit her from the military, I was the only one she recognized when I walk in the room. Everybody else, she had Alzheimer's. Just, just terrible. And, and my mom and my auntie and them, they went to see her every day to check on her and make sure her clothes were being taken care of. They would do her hair every day. It was heartbreaking to have to go there and see my grandmother in that condition. Because that wasn't how we remembered her. And so I'd go there and I'd look at her and she couldn't move. She'd just sit and stare out the window and it broke my heart. And when she passed away, I came home from the Middle East, sat there on the front row, wept and cried like everybody else. And then later that weekend, went back to preach the gospel somewhere else and said he's a miracle God. The death of my grandmother doesn't change what the book says, folks. How she died doesn't change what the book says. But if you allow your emotions to influence what this says, you're going to have a hard time following God because there will always be reasons for sadness and despair. Yeah. So so gifts of healing. Uh, Paul and Peter were never under the impression in the book of Acts that there was any condition that the name of Jesus couldn't handle. Uh, growing up in uh, full gospel church, I've heard a lot of people spend time talking about how this person was gifted to pray for this person or these kinds of illnesses. This person had tumors or these people had uh, deaf ears and stuff like that. I, I don't know. All I do know is that Jesus can handle anything. I, I do know that. Marie or Mariah Woodworth Etter was her name. She was from back east and... She was born in 1844 and died in 1924. But that little lady traveled all across this nation with a tent that probably seated anywhere from eight to 10,000 people. And she had a team of about seven to 10 ministers, and she'd get up and preach, and then they'd put chairs out across the front. Then they'd wheel the chairs up. Whether If somebody was in a wheelchair, they stayed in a wheelchair. But if somebody else was blind, deaf, or whatever, they'd sit them down in the chairs. And Mariah Etter have all these people come lay hands on these people and pray for them. One miracle after another took place. Then you read the newspaper clippings from the little small villages where these things occurred. And you say, how in the world is it that most of the body of Christ didn't know about this? She even came out here to Nebraska. And, and, and held meetings up near, um, up near Milford, out in the tent, out there, preaching the gospel, telling folks about Christ, cripples walking and everything else occurring. But yet what happens is if you have a preacher or a denomination that has said for decades that God doesn't do this, you better believe they're not going to broadcast this stuff because it means everything they've been telling their parishioners has been a lie. 
And the last thing a preacher wants to, to, to have is his people lose respect of him with, with regard to what God is able to do. But then they'll return to, remember, so-and-so is sick now, let's pray for them and ask God to help them. Well, then what's the prayer for if you don't believe that God heals? If you're going to ask for intervention from God, then you're expecting him to intervene. Unless we're just praying prayers just to pray. Yeah, we've we got to believe what we're, what we're honestly asking the king to do. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not the kind of person that when I'm asked to go into the hospital, even if I walk in there and I see somebody up there and they're in traction or whatever and they got tubes and stuff coming out of them, I'm not staring at the tubes. I'm thinking about God's word. And, and, I'm, and I'm believing that, that, Father, you're going to touch this person and, and heal them. I'm not walking in there dressed in special sanctified clothing and I'm going to deliver the last rites for somebody to help them die. We're coming to believe, God, that Jesus is going to be right there in that room and help that person. You say, why? Because the grandkids want grandma to live. That's why. Because the husband wants grandma to be around to see the grandkids graduate from high school. And if they want to believe that, why can't we pray? And believe and ask God. And as I said, if uh, someone passes away, we shout the praises of the king that they're now in the presence of God. Then we come right back to the book. We don't change. Yeah. Okay. So verse number 10 then speaks of the working of miracles. Now there are different kinds of miracles. Let's go to John chapter 2. We know... From reading Acts 4, that the man healed at the gate called Beautiful, that his was called a miracle of healing. But since we just talked about some gifts of healing, let's move on to talk about miracles. A miracle is anything that God does that causes him to subvert or transcend the natural laws. To the point that it leaves you astonished and scratching your head trying to figure out how in the world this happened. So what kind of miracles do we have in the Bible that are like that? Look at how God used Moses when he brought Israel out of Egypt. It's a miracle. Think about Joshua when the Bible says the sun and the moon stood still for 24 hours. Unheard of. It's a miracle. Let's let's not forget that uh, Elijah... Remember, Elijah called down fire, fire from heaven. He's up on the mountain and uh, the king sent some folks to him and said, go up there and get that man and bring him to me. And Elijah, he was looking at these guys and they said, look here, man of God, come down here. The king wants to see you. Here's what Elijah said. If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and strike you all dead right now. Fire came down, struck him dead. Then the next group came. Same thing happened. Then the next group came. Same thing happened. Then that fourth group comes along, and you know, they, they don't even want to talk. <laughs> Just, would you please come down here so we can talk? But, but no, the, the power of God. What caused the fire to come down? The miracle-working power of God. When Elijah took on the prophets of Baal, and he put water all around that altar and the sacrifice, and he said, you call on your God, I'll call on mine. They called on theirs, nothing happened. He called on his fire, came down and hit the sacrifice. It's a miracle. Yeah, miracle. 
What about when the children of Israel were under siege by a foreign nation? And it says all of their army was out there surrounding the children of Israel. And an angel of the Lord came and 180,000 of them died in the night. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And when you think of Elisha, the Bible says when he died, they put his body in the ground. And it said one day. Some people were kind of around there doing some things they shouldn't have been doing. And, and, and they went and they put a, a dead body on top of Elisha's body. And the corpse revived and came back to life when it touched the bones of Elisha. That's a miracle. Yeah, that's, that's a miracle. So anything that God does, it's going to leave you scratching your head. And there's no indication that any human being ever could have been involved with that. Then, that, then that's a miracle. Here we are in John chapter 2. Notice we have a marriage here in verse number 1. It's in Cana of Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. Jesus call, was called to the wedding with his disciples, to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And, and Jesus said, woman, what have I to do with you? My hour isn't come. His mother says to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. So, so now we're talking about the working of miracles. Here's the aspect of what has to be done in order for a miracle to take place. There has to be obedience to the commands of God, even when the commands of God are more than one command. And you can see here, verse 6, there were six water pots. And these water pots were for the purification of the Jews. This is where they come and wash their hands and their feet and everything. And Jesus said, fill the water pots with water. They filled them to the brim. He said, now draw out now and bear it to the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and didn't know where it came from, but the servants which drew the water knew the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. So, so imagine that. <clears throat> you fill pots with water. You know it's water. You brought the water from the well. But then Jesus tells you to now take your cup, pull some now, and then you taste it and you know immediately it's not water. So the, the transformation of the substance itself is the miracle. God can do whatever he wants to do. And, and just because some people don't want to believe that, that doesn't change the fact that God's a miracle. God, when the loaves of bread multiplied, and the fishes multiplied in the hands of Jesus. There was no sheet in front of him and no magic hat he's pulling rabbits out of. He did this in front of everybody. Everybody watched what he was doing. They saw what he was doing. He said to the disciples, go tell everybody to sit down in companies of 50 and 100 and so on and so forth. So they did. And, and, and there was the miracle right in front of them. God can do it so that you can see it. And if he does it so that you can see it, he does it so that you can believe it. And he does not want you to live your life in unbelief because this, this is a terrible world to live in if you don't believe that God can still intervene. Why well, believe in God but not believe that God can intervene? 
He made the heavens and the earth. He said the earth is his footstool. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the number of your days. My times are in your hand. Oh, God, why would you want to believe all those things, but then be under the impression where all this other, this other stuff, this supernatural stuff, it just really doesn't matter. It's not important in the greater scheme of things. Well, who are you to determine the greater scheme of things? Whatever God's plan for your life is requires this. And there's a possibility that maybe God has done things for you that you didn't even know were miraculous in preserving you and keeping you and leading you. Just when you got to thinking, I, I, I don't see where God's ever really done anything wonderful for me. Then if God could really open things up and show you, you'd be surprised at what all he's done. Yeah. And this is the way we should talk. We should talk like people who believe that if God is for us, who can be against us? Yeah. Miracles don't just have to do with, with healing, but just just the power of God in supply. I, I, I think of occasions where I really needed help and, and God went out of his way to secure a blessing and help for me. When um, when I lived with this Iraqi family and the family just kept growing. They kept having babies. And my income wasn't increasing with the number of people in the family that were coming to live with us. I was, I was needing to pray. I mentioned earlier about my grandma passing away. But when I flew home to, to come to that funeral, the uh, family that I lived with had just given birth to a, a baby just days before I took off. So Selma, who is the name of the Iraqi lady, she was trying to nurse, apparently. Now, I'm, I'm in the States now. And I heard this story when I got back. Uh, they said, well, you know, we, you left us some money, and I did. I said, here is some cash to buy food and stuff while I'm gone. Well, they ran out of that while I was gone. They just used it all up for whatever reason. And the little baby needed milk. Well, of course, it was a newborn. And so they were trying to nurse, but yet couldn't get, uh, Selma couldn't give any milk at all. And this is going on for days and days. And uh, so finally, they told me, we remembered you told us and you showed us you can lay hands on people and pray. This is a Syriac speaking family. The only thing they ever knew about God before they moved in with me, it was the Chaldean Catholic Church. That's, that's like knowing nothing. They didn't know anything. And so they, they said, you said we can lay hands. And they found the little verse in the Syriac Bible in Mark where it says laying hands on the sick. And they did that. The family gathered around. They prayed for Selma. And they said they took the little infant, put the little infant to her breast. And said within just a few minutes, here she had milk that was coming. Well, I mean, you know, for, for a lot of people, they look at something like that. They say, oh, it would have just happened uh, anyway. Well, not, not for them. Not for them. They'd already tried everything they could try. And, and you think of some of the circumstances and the stories that, that God has used in your life. I, I don't know if you ever get them to do it, but if you ever get, get, uh, get Todd and Amy to kind of share with you some of the things from their life, you, you, you'll see miraculous leadings and guidance and divine intersections and connections. 
It is important for you to know that as a Christian, God is interested in all aspects of your life. Yeah, he is. Before you became a Christian, I know you didn't, you know, live a life that was pleasing to the king. However, if you didn't made it this far, surely you've got to know you made it this far, not because of your own brilliance. Because we all made bad decisions, dumb decisions, weird decisions, decisions that other people thought, you really are an idiot. <laughs> you know, but, but yet God, he, he caused us to recover from some of the worst decisions any human being could ever make. Because the scripture says God has angels that are before the throne of God on behalf of the children. Half of the children. So I just wonder if even when we got older, we were doing the things we shouldn't have been doing. The angel of God was still trying to work to manipulate things in a good way for your life. So what are the working of miracles? Jesus shows us that you can go fishing and you can find tax money in the mouth of a fish. That's a miracle. Jesus comes walking on water in the middle of the night when you least expect him. That's a miracle. Yeah. In the in the book of Acts, when the disciples are all in jail because of their faith in God. And the Bible says the angel of the Lord comes and opens up the jail cell and says, go back and preach the words of this life in the temple. And they do so. That's a miracle. I'm telling you right now, jail cells just don't open on their own. They open because of something miraculous. When God opens a door, the devil can't close it, even when he's trying. Yeah. Now, he may try to hinder us, but he's never going to be able to stop God from doing what he wants to do. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 12. There is no person who can operate miracles on a whim. This is not like a magician on a stage who can do whatever he or she wants to do in order to deceive people. You say, well, are there such things as lying signs and wonders? Yes, but the devil cannot, will not, and does not do miracles in Jesus' name. God would never allow his son's name to be corrupted in that manner. He cannot do that. So no, no, we, when, when we hear stories of people involved with witchcraft and uh, people are seeing visions and, and things like that, that's fine, whatever. It has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And we're not going to spend our time doing commercials for the devil in what he's doing in his world. I'm just trying to help you to see that as a Christian, these things here are available to the local church. And this is what he said to the church at Corinth. We say, okay, pastor, then what are some things we need to do in order to make ourselves available so that God can use us this way? Well, look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 1. Follow or pursue after charity, that's love, and desire spiritual gifts. Now, it's interesting how many people love that first sentence but don't like that second one. And, and, and I hear all the time, well, love is more important than, than everything. Well, it probably is. I'm not going to argue with you about that, but Paul still put it in the same, in the same verse. 
It's, it's in the same sentence. Desire spiritual gifts. You've got to work on your appetite. And if you're not interested in these things, you've got to ask yourself, why are you not interested in these things? It's not because God doesn't want you interested. You've made a conscious choice. Uh, most times when people lose their appetite, they're ill. But I'm telling you now that part of your prayer and part of my prayer should be for God to have a greater manifestation of his power in his local church. As far as I can see in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the book of Acts, whenever there were manifestations of God's power, it drew a whole lot of people to God and they got saved. We, we think if we, just, if we just witness and tell people about Jesus, that's enough. Well, you should, I should, but it's not enough because we still need God's help. Yeah, we still need God's help. And without his supernatural help, we can't even get people saved anyway. Yeah, because conviction, that's a work of the Holy Ghost. Repentance, that's the power of the Holy Ghost. A new life, regenerated life, a born again, born anew, born from above life. That's the power of the Holy Ghost. He has to be involved with all aspects of the proclamation of the gospel. So why not ask God to also do divine things in a greater way? You never know what he'll do. Yeah. Yeah, one, one, one person told me one time, I just think that, you know, the, the body of Christ just needs to stop, you know, thinking about uh, gifts of the Spirit. And we just need to just focus on just getting deep in the doctrines of, of, the, of the Bible and, and all of that. Well, you can get deep in the doctrines of the Bible, but the, the Scripture says that the, the letter killeth and the Spirit gives life. You, you, can, you can be doctrinally sound and explain everything related to justification, sanctification, and you can explain the Nicene Creed and the difference between Athanasia and Pelagian and all of these different things and go all of your life or go month after month and never witness to anybody. Head knowledge doesn't change anything, but a relationship with God that allows him to manifest himself through us. That's a powerful thing. Oh, it's a powerful thing. I mean, what, what would happen if you were talking with someone and, and then they asked for prayer and you said something like this? Rather than saying, well, why don't you come to church where we can pray for you? What if you said, let's pray now? Yeah, let's pray now. And, and, and then you, you, you say, let's pray now. And then whether you're holding hands or however you do it, you, you pray for them. Then what in the world's going to happen if you pray and God actually answers that prayer? Oh, my goodness. Both of you take off running all around the place. I mean, nobody's going to even understand the joy of the Lord in your heart. They're going to say, oh, my goodness. I never knew a pregnant woman like Angie could run like that. She's scooting down that sidewalk. See? Yeah. But. But miracles don't just happen, they happen to people that are in need. We want to see the Red Sea part, but we don't want the Egyptians chasing us. You see? Right. We, we want to see God do something supernatural, but we don't want to pass through a valley of the shadow of death to see the miracle of life. God just doesn't do miracles just to try to demonstrate who he is. And, and people who, who try to tell God, well, you're just going to have to prove who you are to me if I'm going to believe in you. Well, you can go that route if you want to. You'll probably be a very unhappy person. 
But if, if you believe God and trust God and you come to him in faith rather than trying to play truth or dare with him, then the, the chances are much more likely that you're going to find that the God of this book is going to step out of the pages of this book and into all aspects of your life. And, and once he does that, oh, it's a powerful thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a powerful, powerful thing. So follow after charity, desire spiritual gifts. Our prayer tonight is that God would create in us an appetite for these things. If we don't have that appetite, if we do have the appetite and that's our desire, that God would make us willing vessels to be used by him. Let's pray. Father God, we honor you tonight and we honor your word above and beyond any doctrine or teaching that we've ever received, knowing that you have called all of us to the kingdom for this particular time. And Lord, when we look around, we still see sin in the earth. So we know that salvation from sin is needed. And we find lots of sickness, disease, and illness. So we know that healing is still necessary. So Father, we're asking you to use any of us, all of us, oh God, at any point, in any moment, let us be available. And we pray that within our congregations that the life of Jesus would be manifested in powerful ways. Let testimonies accumulate of people that have come to know your son. Let them accumulate regarding those that have been made whole. We pray, God, that you would do the remarkable, the marvelous, the spectacular, the supernatural in our midst so that, Lord, we once again would be left scratching our heads saying, what a mighty God we serve. We love you, Lord. We honor you and we praise you in the mighty, mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, 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 amen.